0: Once walked among us and who spurs us ever on. Amen. My dear, dear friend Laura, who is a priest and also a mother, my other dear, dear friend Laura, who is a priest and also a mother, um, once preached um, on Monday, Thursday, and she called it. the mother service. And she went on to explain why she called it the mother service. She said it was all about bending over. And she said, with her three boys, she said, I spend my whole life bending over, picking up a 25 pound child off the floor, helping a toddler tie his shoes, helping a, a young teenager. Try to find his school books before he asked to run out the door to catch the bus. Holding her back, she said, You know, I spend all my time bending over, bending over for other people. And then she said, Imagine what it had been like for Jesus to bend over that whole evening long while he watched the feet of his 12 disciples, one after another, bending over, being a servant. And I think, I think Laura was right. I think what Jesus did that night was he sanctified the action of bending over. And I think of all the people of all time who have been servants, spent their lives bending over, picking melons, tying shoes, helping other people. The man in the train station bending over, shining shoes for... What, 25 cents an hour. The woman in your home and mine maybe who spends her entire day bending over making beds or picking up after people like us. And I think one of the most amazing things that this night does is it sanctifies the act of bending over, of being a servant. That what Jesus did with his friends that night was was not just wash their feet but he sanctified all action that has to do with serving other people. We forget how many people in our lives every day spend their lives serving us, doing things for us. So I think Laura was right. Um, I, I think that this is a service It's all about bending over, as Jesus bent over again and again and again to wash the feet of his servants As some of you will bend over very shortly to wash the feet of a loved one or a stranger or an acquaintance. um, To be that kind of servant. I have a confession to make. This is probably the worst night of the year for a preacher to try to write a sermon. Because there's just so much that's going on on Monday, Thursday. I mean, you think about it, there are three big major themes, major themes, that one can pick from. Or, or if you're a little rash, like I am, maybe you go for more than one. <laughs> That's just a warning. There's, there's, there's the foot washing. There's the great Passover when the Jewish people were, were, were liberated out of Egypt the night of the first Passover. This night is, is a commemoration of that Passover and a reminder that the Jewish nation continues to do. Passover services every year. This year we're about three weeks away from the Jewish Passover because we've had a full moon and it's just kind of how the moon falls, the full moon falls. And the third piece is, is, is the piece that Luke wants to focus on and that's, and that's that first Eucharist, the first communion. So you sort of take your pick as a preacher which one you want to talk about. Whether you want to talk about foot washing or you want to talk about Passover you want to talk about the Eucharist. So you kind of sit around for most of a week, realizing that you've got Good good Friday coming up, you've got Easter Visual coming up, you've got Easter Sunday coming up, and you're still trying to figure out what to do with Monday, Thursday. But there is something that runs through it all, and that's this deep, deep sense of mystery, this deep, deep sense of the intangibility of God um, as God works in our lives, the, story, the Passover story, when, when the Israelites mark their door jams with the blood of the lamb, you know, it's not about eating the lamb, it's about sacrificing the lamb so that they can mark the lentils of their doors with the fresh blood so that the, the dark angel will not descend upon that house. Because every house that is not marked with the fresh blood of the sacrificial lamb, the firstborn in that house is exterminated the animals, and, and the children alike. So the deep, deep darkness that happens that night as the Israelites, in their fear and in their misery, dip their fingers into that bowl of fresh sacrificial blood from the lamb and mark it on the doorpost because that's what Yahweh said, mark the door, mark the door and you'll be safe. And they marked the door, and sure enough, they're safe. The deep, deep mystery that Jesus does that night that we continue to do over and over and over again, that Jesus fed the people that he loved around him that night, probably his last night on earth, and we still feed with them all the time. That meal never ends. That meal has never ended. That meal happens again and again and again and again. There's a fancy word for it that you learn in seminary. It's called anamnesis. Is that what it is, Mary? Yeah. See, I remember a few things. Anamnesis. And what that means is is, is that the deep mystery is, is that what we do here tonight is exactly not kind of like what they did or in memory of what they did, but it is at the same time, in the same place, the same motion. We do what Jesus did that night, here, tonight, And every Sunday that we come to church it's the same thing (coughs) and we do it and it feeds us and it keeps us going and that's the mystery that's this deep sense of mystery this week I was um, catching up on on some of my um, my Krista Tippett podcasts I don't know if you listen to on being Um, I can't listen to her on Sunday morning so I catch her um, during the week on a podcast, which is really fun. I, I, I love to do the ones that are, that are the, the uncut ones. Do you do the uncut ones? They're much more fun. They're not, they're not edited through. And this particular one was, uh, was a rabbi named Lawrence Kushner, who, who I had the great privilege of spending some time with. One of my mentors, um, he was his spiritual director in Massachusetts when my friend was a priest there. And and what Lawrence Kushner is is so um, adept at talking about, what he knows more than anything else, is is Jewish mysticism, the mystical nature of, of Judaism, which is so different than the sort of practical nature of Judaism. Judaism seems to have two very strong faces. One is a very practical piece, and the other is a very deep, deep mystical piece. And, and he's the expert of something called the Kabbalah, which is, which is that practice. The Kabbalah is that practice of Jewish mysticism. And there's a lot of controversy as to whether Jesus um, was actually a mystic or not. Did, did Jesus understand? Was there some part of Jesus' teachings, Jesus' being, that was part of the Kabbalah? And, and Bruce Chilton, who, who is a scholar, um, says, yes, that, that Jesus knew exactly um, what was happening in terms of his mystical nature and that he did practice an earliest form of the Kabbalah. This is what Chilton wrote. He wrote, he, Jesus, taught them, he taught his disciples, the most intimate aspects of his wisdom. He had already initiated them into his visionary practice, but now he distilled and systematized his mystical insight and their practical applications for purification, healing, and exorcism into a personal tradition, a Kabbalah, which enabled the 12 to go forward and act in Jesus's place. So that that this deep sense of mystery, this relationship, this personal, intimate relationship with God was, was a big part of who Jesus was, and that he passed that on to those who were closest to him. And the reason that this is important to me is, is, is not because of Jesus' understanding of, of the Jewish tradition, because Kabbalah is not Catholic, it's not Christian, it's Jewish. But there are four major pieces um, that make um, this mystical tradition in the Jewish faith what it is. One is called the Ein Sof, which means that God is, is indescribable. God is ineffable. The first is, is, is that we don't know God and we can't know who God is. We know God exists, but to try to describe God, God's elusive, and and we experience God rather than being able to to explain God. Maybe you have had an experience in your life, just a brief flashing moment when there has been an intimate relationship with the other, um, and you can't describe it, but you've had it happen to you. Maybe it lasts for a few seconds and goes away. It's happened to me just a very few times in my life, but I will never forget the moment that I felt Jesus, I, mean, I felt God's definite presence with me in my life. The second one, in, in terms of the Kabbalah, is, is the sense that there's a structure. Um, there's this, this, this structure to the belief system that people have. You maybe have seen the diagram. It's like a long tube with, with pieces of it that go across and down. So, so faith, belief has a structure. The third piece of it is, is that, that God is, is, has a feminine nature as well as a masculine nature. But that God has both those natures at the same time. So, that, so God has, has what um, Krishna calls eros. There's, there's this physical union that happens in God, male and female. There's this generative process that happens in God. And the one I want to talk to you about, the one that, that I think Jesus was so so clear about in, in his own mind and as he transmitted to his people, the fourth one, and it, it's called Kavar, And what it means is, is that God has a need. God is needy. That God has a need for us. To be a part of god's existence that god is not whole without us being part of god's existence and what kushner said in his interview that i just thought was so brilliant was he said that god needs a chiropractor that every now and again the work that god does god does in such a way that god's back gets a little kink in it and then when god's back gets a little kink in it god needs a chiropractor. God needs someone, literally someone, to straighten God's back out, to put God back in balance, to make it possible for God to go about God's business from then on until God gets another kink in his back. And that's this mystical understanding that we are the chiropractors that continually put God back together again, so to speak. That what we do is, is, is that we do the works that we do, we do the community that we do, in order to keep God in one piece. That's what this means. But I think for us, as followers of Jesus, it goes deeper than that, because really, the chiropractor is Jesus. The chiropractor that put God back together again, most whole, is Jesus. Jesus' appearance here on earth, and what we will practice Jesus goes through for the next several days, is that the practitioner that Jesus was to make God whole again. It was Jesus who straightened God's back out and who taught us how to do the same. And the prescription to do that is what we'll do here this evening at this altar when we say the words and we break the bread and we share the wine. This is the prescription. This is the the rexall. This is what what happens that allows us to continue to be the practitioner, to be those who heal. The sense then is that there's something broken. That, that, That God, in God's way, continually expending God's self in the world, in some way, God needs mending. And then it is, it is through Jesus that we find the ability to mend God, to do the work. Isaac Gloria, in the 16th century, a great, a great mystic, Jewish mystic, talked about the fact that light filled into these jars in the universe, and there was something that happened, and the jars began to break. And then the jars began to break, and little shards of light went all over the universe. And little shards of light are all around us. And those things that imbalance the world, the light gets captured in that. If you holler at your kids when maybe it wasn't their fault, or, or if you yell at the, at the guy in the car next to you when you're going to work, those are the little bits of shard that encapsulate the light. And what Loria said is it's our job to free those little shards of light so that it all becomes whole again. Tikon olam, it's called in Hebrew. Tikon olam. It's a big deal. It's restoring wholeness to the world. And it's what we are asked to do. You see, maybe we didn't cause the light to break. Maybe we didn't cause these, these amazing receptacles that God uh, poured the light into it to break, but it's our job to fix that. Tikkun alam. And so what we, we will experience with Jesus the next few days is, is that process as it began in his experience to, to free all those little shards of light and to make them come back together again. But what's, what's so important for us in this and beyond this is that now it's our job yours and mine to continue to free those little shards of light to make again a receptacle that is full of light and love and God to bring wholeness again. It seems like a daunting task but Jesus has led the way. Seems like something that's beyond our ability and as individuals it is. But This generation and that generation and the one after that, we all have the opportunity to do our part. You little ones that are sitting here so attentive, so part of this tonight, you don't have to be here. You have a place in this future to bring the light back to the world. And we have a place to teach them and to support them and to hold them up. If this makes sense at all, this next three days, then it makes sense in that we have the honor and the privilege and the responsibility to repair the world. Tikkun Hola. That's up to us. Jesus showed us how. Jesus gave us this. Just by being here, we begin the process of Tikal Allah. I am so glad to be here tonight with you as we continue the process of healing the world.